Episode 7, Adapting. The late, great Bruce Lee said, you must be shapeless and formless like water. When you pour water in a cup, it becomes the cup. When you pour water in a bottle, it becomes the bottle. When you pour water in a teapot, it becomes the teapot. Water can drip and it can crash. Become like water, my friend. A lot of us are being forced to adapt right now amid the COVID-19 pandemic, and it's not easy. That brings us to our first story. Some farmers and ranchers on the Big Island are now selling their goods through an online market. We introduce you to a young man who's helping them adapt. So your mushrooms are probably going to soak up most of the butter. Big Island teenager Kamahao Ocean Kanekoa wants to be a chef like his dad. He's won awards for his cooking. I did the 2019 Cake in the Kitchen food and wine competition. We got first place in that. To help small farms in Waimea and Waikoloa hurt by the economic downturn, the 14-year-old started an online market called Paina by Ocean. I just wanted to make sure that they could still move their product and they could still have some business so they wouldn't have to go out of business and stop and start laying off their workers. The Kanekoa family fills the orders and staffs the pickup sites. Each pack costs about $25. The money goes back to the farmers and ranchers. During the first week, our goal was to sell 25 paina bags. And that first week, we ended up selling 100. Uh, the following week, that grew to 200 paina bags. So now I'm just going to chop some parsley. Kamahao also produces cooking videos for his website. Our videos usually are based around a couple of products that we'll have in the bag that week. So thank you for everything you've done. His online market began as an eight-week project to help farmers survive the effects of the coronavirus pandemic, but it may continue. And I think with Kamahao, his main mission is to teach everyone, you know, where your food comes from and how important that is. Kamahao is an eighth grader. He hopes his actions motivate others to take action. Even if it's just a little thing helping a little bit of people, that's better than not helping anybody. So that's what I think. I think Kamahao has uh, really set himself up to become a chef. He's a really good cook. Uh, I, I did some research on him before I, I interviewed him, and he's won awards for his cooking. His father's an executive chef at a hotel on the Big Island, so it runs in the family. And ever since he was a child, he was interested in cooking and in the kitchen. So his dad would take him out to farms and would show him how the food is grown. And that's what spawned this idea. His father took him to a lettuce farm on the Big Island, and he watched as the farmer plowed his field under because he had nowhere uh, to take the lettuce before it would spoil. And so he, he said, well, that is a big waste of food. Uh, and we can get this to people who can use it and help the farmer um, earn some income. And so that's how the family, it's a family affair, and they, that's how they set up this online marketplace. It's an online farmer's market. Really made it uh, easier for farmers to get their locally grown goods into the hands of consumers. They want to continue doing that beyond coronavirus because uh, it's given now farmers a chance to say once again to the consuming public, buy local, please buy local. That's a message that they've been saying for decades. But now it's an opportune time because that's what the people want, is they want locally grown food. 
Uh, I think this guy's got a, this young man has a bright future. He uh, is, is on his way to not only becoming a, a good chef, but also um, a good person by helping people. He's just a young man, but he's doing something that a lot of older folks wouldn't even consider doing, stepping out. A USS Arizona survivor is adapting so he can continue to share his message and oral history, even during this global pandemic. HNN digital producer Jonathan Soppy shows us how the 98-year-old is staying connected and still planning and hoping to attend the 79th anniversary ceremony of the Pearl Harbor bombing on Oahu. We all love you in Hawaii and I uh, can't wait to see you hopefully in December. Well, I got my reservations there. It's just a matter of the doctor letting me go. Lou Conter has attended the yearly remembrance ceremony at Pearl Harbor many times, only missing one in the last decade. And he's always willing to share his story. That's the picture of the ship there's turret number three and four. But this is a first. Coronavirus concerns have the 98-year-old social distancing. Um, 99, September 13th. So Pacific Historic Parks linked him up with Zoom so he can continue to share his invaluable oral history virtually. And, uh, there's the mainmast. The mainmast fell over, burned so hard. It was 7.55 on the morning of December 7th. Contour was on board the USS Arizona. The ship took four direct hits from Japanese planes. Over 1,100 men on the Arizona perished. Of course, Lou's video chat shifted to them being acknowledged. What are your thoughts when you return back to the memorial and see the names of the men that you served with? Well, that the first time uh, when we went back in the f 91 of the 50th anniversary was tough as hell to go in there and look at those names because you know your name is not there. You're out on the plaques outside, on the, but you're just lucky. You're one of the lucky ones. And give them a prayer and say you're thankful for them because they did their ultimate. They lost their life to save America. Conter is now one of only two living USS Arizona survivors. In recent weeks, some, including the president, have been comparing the COVID-19 tragedy to the 1941 attack. This is really the worst attack we've ever had. This is worse than Pearl Harbor. A journalist recently asked Lou about that comparison. Here's what he had to say. The virus to me, I got a call here from a newsman here 30 days ago, and he said, this is like Pearl Harbor. What are you doing? How are you handling it? I said, it's nothing like Pearl Harbor. <clears throat> I said, here, I'm sitting here watching my television, getting all the news and everything, and having a scotch and water. And I said, if we didn't do that in Pearl Harbor Day, we were getting shot at. <laughs> So Jonathan, we're going to turn the tables on you, and I'll ask you some questions about this. Uh, I am impressed by Lou Conter's presence of mind and how he can vividly tell these stories so many years later. Is that what impressed you too? Yeah, that was that was certainly one of the things that impressed me. And by the way, what he says that 
has allowed him to stay so sharp is those scotch and waters that he drinks every day. <laughs> no, but really, really sharp. And he can recall so many things. You've interviewed him a number of times over the years. And it is astonishing how much he can recall and how much he's willing to sort of recall. A lot of people want to bury that trauma, bury that past. But his mission is to share his story and let as many generations and as many people hear it. And that's what luckily has been able to happen even during the pandemic thanks to things like zoom and thanks to his neighbor that let him come over and use the internet that he was able to connect with so many more people and this is something that's going to be shared on social media platforms and youtube and so many places and probably reach more people than he could ever reach in person it's sad to say but it's true that someday his voice is going to be silenced like so many of the other arizona survivors too i would love to see luke hunter again in person uh, and looks like he's making plans right to come here yep he says he's got the tickets bought reservations made it's just a matter of his doctor and travel restrictions if they'll let him come but he's still hoping for it and it's a big year this year and big ceremonies are in the works we haven't heard of any planning or any cancellations in regards to that yet but we expect that that is happening behind the scenes and not saying that they'll cancel it but some changes probably will be in the works for the way the ceremony is done this year great work jonathan we're gonna have to have you make some more cameos and tell me a story thanks chef (laughs) (laughs) oh really well done terrific story Well, let's keep with the history theme. The deadliest pandemic in modern history killed 50 million people worldwide almost exactly a century ago. The 1918 Spanish flu also had a significant impact here in Hawaii. People were forced to adapt in the face of a health crisis. Oahu Cemetery historian Nanette Napoleon is compiling a list of people buried in the graveyard who died during the Spanish flu in the early 1900s. So far, she's found 12 grave sites. There's two people on the list that actually don't have markers. They have the card that says they're buried here, but no marker. Some were prominent in Hawaii society. Their last names are still recognizable today. Edmund Hiedemann died in 1919. In 1920, Thomas Hustis and his wife Alice were just 31 with three children when they got sick. They uh, died within two weeks of one another. So they're buried down here in the Houston plot, which is another famous name in Hawaii associated with the wards. Her research only scratches the surface of the deadly impact the epidemic had on the islands. The Spanish flu pandemic killed more than 2,300 people in Hawaii, and one of them was my great-grandmother. She died in 1919, and she's buried on the Big Island. Graves of Spanish flu victims are scattered throughout the state. The islands were not spared any more than the continental United States. UH history professor Shauna Brown sees similarities in how society handled the Spanish flu and how it's reacting to COVID-19. Churches were also closed for a time in schools. Um, But as we see now, there was a debate about opening up again and places would open and then shut. Globally, about 500 million people got sick from the Spanish flu and about 50 million died. Napoleon's learning more about the ones buried at Oahu Cemetery. The story wouldn't be the story unless you can tell who the people are, who something about their lives. The youngest on her list was only nine months old. Nanette Napoleon is the historian for that cemetery and she uh, sent me an email 
uh, and asking me if I'd be interested in doing a story that was related to the Spanish flu because she had started doing some research in that cemetery to determine who had died around that time and to find out who they were. And that cemetery is a really old one. I think it was established in 1844, something like that. Uh, And so I said, yeah, I'm really interested in this story. So we went down and we met her at the graveyard that day. But before we did, I mentioned to her that my great-grandmother had died from the Spanish flu. Uh, She lived on the big island in the Honoka'a area, Pauwilo area, and she was a midwife. And she got sick. And she died. She was only 59. She died in 1919. And my great-grandfather lived another 21 years after his wife passed, and he never got remarried. He's, my mom tells me a story where uh, she'd sit on my great-grandfather's porch with him, and he'd stoke his pipe and smoke his pipe, and he talked to my mom about how much he missed the love of his life. And that's, that's a beautiful touching story. But that's the Spanish flu touched so many families. 2,300 people estimated died in Hawaii. An unbelievable 50 million people estimated to have died worldwide from the Spanish flu. And it's that line that everybody has a story to tell. Everybody does, really, when it comes down to it. And that's one uh, one of the wonderful things Nanette Napoleon does. She tries to find the story behind the grave marker. Who is that person? Who was that person? What did they do? Who's the family behind it? And I know it it disturbs her when she cannot find that information. Um, For some of them, she said, a couple of the people on her list uh, who had died during the Spanish flu time, uh, she couldn't find the records for. They just were listed as buried there. So she couldn't trace their records back in the office. Um, but that doesn't stop her from trying. And I asked her, are you going to try this in other cemeteries as well? She said she just doesn't have the time because you'd have to go statewide. You'll find people buried all over our state that, that died during that time of the Spanish flu. Churches are having to adapt to this pandemic period. Churchgoers haven't been able to gather in person for weeks. Still, More than 25 churches representing every island were able to join voices in the making of a powerful musical message. And it helps the Hawaii Food Bank. This benediction set to music is called The Blessing. Hawaii's version was done by Hawaiian Islands Ministries to comfort listeners and counter the effects of coronavirus. There's so much pain and discomfort in this state that I wanted to do a song uh, through Hawaiian Islands Ministries that would bless people and encourage them. Pastor Dan Shun of First Presbyterian Church invited 25 churches, big and small, to join voices from the first church established in Hawaii to a brand new one on Molokai. We made sure we had churches from all the different denominations and we wanted singers, cross-generational, the youngest, the kapuna singing, everybody together. The singers recorded in their homes. Award-winning musician and producer Imua Garza put it together. Ninth Ave Studio edited the images. If you listen to the song, the melody is beautiful, but the words are very powerful. So we just wanted to make sure we got the music right, first and foremost. The video is available at thehawaiiblessing.com and on YouTube. 
when the video was finished, I think for myself and the entire crew, we were blown away. We really hope it'll be a great source of encouragement and a blessing to everybody. And viewers can be a blessing. Hawaiian Islands Ministries urges those who watch it to make a donation to the Hawaii Food Bank. Within the first 24 hours of the release of that video on YouTube, Pastor Chun told me they had 90,000 plus views. I checked it uh, recently and the views are edging up now on 400,000. Within the first 24 hours, they uh, had raised more than $6,000 for the Hawaii Food Bank. I don't know what that number is now, but it's a lot higher, uh, I'm sure, because of just the number of people that are viewing that video. And churches, uh, groups around the world are now starting to do this. I saw a similar video done by uh, churches in Vietnam. Uh, other parts of the mainland, United States, are doing this. And it's not just these types of songs, but uh, artists are still continuing to produce music and release music through this kind of venue. Amazing. That brings us to the end of another Tell Me a Story podcast. I'm Jim Mendoza, and I wanted to leave you with this quote from author Charles F. Glassman. There's only one way to survive and thrive when faced with circumstances out of our control and for which we are unprepared. Adapt. Stay safe, everyone.